0: You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is Mark Hinkle. Mark is the owner and founder of a restaurant called Olive and Oak here in St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm recording this podcast from. It is hands down the best restaurant in the area for that type of food, certainly, Uh, and honestly, one of the best restaurants I've ever been to. Uh, across the board from ambiance to the food to the wait staff. i mean it's it's unbelievable it's regularly booked out for months in advance um, in addition to that restaurant mark h- owns another restaurant called the clover and the bee he's got another pizza restaurant on the way Um, And in addition to those restaurants, he dedicates his time and resources to the Ollie Hinkle Heart Foundation, which he founded with his wife Jennifer in honor of their son, Ollie Hinkle, who lost his battle with CHD at age one. Uh, CHD stands for Congenital Heart defect. Um, It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to fighting the leading birth defect in the U.S. If you'd like to support that foundation, you can do so by going to www.theohf.org. The OHH stands for Ollie Hinkle Heart Foundation. And uh, with that, let's get into the call. There's a lot of really great info in this, and I am honored to have Mark on the call. Here I am with Mark Hinkle. All right, I'm here with Mark Hinkle. Mark, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Um, Mark is the founder and owner of Olive and Oak, one of the best restaurants in the St. Louis area. Probably the best restaurant. If I had to say, if I had family in town or, or friends in town and I wanted to take them out and we only had one night, it's Olive and Oak, baby. That's where I'm going. <laughs> so um, it. Uh, I'm very interested to talk to you and find out uh, how you're doing and how the how the restaurant's doing and um, talk a little bit more about the impact that restaurants in general are having on the economy. I'm, I'm interested in that because you guys are really taking the brunt end. Uh, I mean, of course, a lot of small businesses are. We're all working through this, but um, restaurants in, in particular, I think, are uh, the impact of it is affecting most people because we all love to go on out to eat and we're like, man, can't go to my favorite place. So um, anyway, thank you again for, for joining me today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
0: Um, for those that uh, are not in the St. Louis area and have not heard of your place just yet, if you could share a little bit about Alban um, Oak, why you started it, and uh, how you got into the business, that would be helpful.
1: Awesome. Yeah, we we opened Alban Oak um, in 2016. It's our our I've been in the business for most of my adult life, and. Lo- Love the industry deeply and had had been on my, my to do list for a long time. But you know, finally, um, all things aligned, and we were able to open Olive and Oak in, in the neighborhood I live in, Webster Groves, Missouri, back in 16. Um, it's been just a great experience up to this point. And we, we uh, followed that up that with the Clover and the Bee, which we opened back in, gosh, I guess that's in the same building right next door to Olive and Oak. We opened that roughly two years after Olive and Oak and and now currently in the process of opening a new project just down the down the street. So a, a brew pub, a partnership with our friends at Perennial Artisan Ales here in St. Louis, a big event space, and Olive and Oak's actually going to move down into that building and we're going to put a pizza place back in Olive and Oak's original space. So a lot in the works during a... Uh, unfortunately very unopportune time to be doing all this but oh, we'll work, we will work our way through and get it get it done
0: yeah uh so was the intention with are you gonna be like hosting events too with yeah big of a yes. space? I mean, okay
1: two seats about 200 so that's a another you know kind of unique segment that's been very hard hit by by covid and will probably be one of the slowest to recover
0: what what was the intention what what kind of events would you be hosting there and
1: weddings rehearsal dinners corporate events fundraisers you know it's, it's a it's a really cool space a cool building it's something we get a lot of requests for have over the last four four to five years and just have never really been able to accommodate because we don't have those spaces. So a couple of small boardrooms, a, a big space that can be divided up. So it's it's a cool building and a un, unique building and it was really a great opportunity to bring that kind of into our, our mix of what we have to offer.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um- A lot of people, even maybe locally, don't really know sort of the backstory of Olive and Oak and some of the events that you run, uh, charity events or um, fundraising events, rather, um, for that. Could you share um, how that came to be?
1: Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, we lost our son, Oliver, um, Ollie, back when he was a year old. So, that would have been in 2013. And to congenital heart defects. Uh, my my business partner, Greg, and his wife Becky lost their son Oaks um, right around the same time. And we met after the fact and and both had kind of gotten into the charitable world of you know that that heart community for for children and families impacted by congenital congenital heart defects. And so Olive and Oak is named after Oliver and Oaks. Uh, we both have our foundations, the Ali Hinkle Heart Foundation and the Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation. Um, they both were, kind, you know, kind of separate causes, but all, all in that that realm of supporting families with congenital heart defects. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an underlying mission, and and we hope that the the love kind of that's behind those foundations really shines through in our restaurants as well.
0: Without a doubt, it does. I mean, um, as I've shared with you before, walking into your place is immediately your just hit with love, Uh, like your staff, that people look at you in the eye, big smiles, Uh, shout out to Molly who always gives me a big hug uh, and a big smile and how are you doing and how is, you know, she remembers my kids' names and how's your dad doing and all this. It it really does um, feel like family there and that I I think in and of itself is a huge differentiator for your business um, compared to some of the other restaurants in the area setting aside the fact that your food is freaking phenomenal we'll put that you know, you. The culture and the atmosphere is is amazing um we talked a little bit uh about this before but is that intentional do you think that's a byproduct how did you set up that type of culture in, in you know for your restaurants
1: yeah, I mean it's definitely intentional, but I'd say it's also a byproduct of our experiences and just the people we are. And you know, you you mentioned Molly. Um, just he's our executive chef and is a partner in the restaurant. Uh, my wife, who I met in the restaurant industry, is is actively involved in in our business. Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of us just we we've worked together for a long time. Um, you know, our 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 guests of our family to us, you know, like you mentioned your dad, it's like, we all knew your dad from when we worked at Annie's and, you know, love, love when we see those familiar faces and and get to know, you know, the extended family. And it's, it's all, we truly feel like our restaurant our staff is a family, but it's also beyond our, our, our guests that come in all the time. It's like that it's all one big community and it's all family to us. And that's what's been, I, I think so important to making Olive and oak, and covering and the B in our restaurants, what they are, but it's also what's made this time so challenging for us because we thrive on that. So we're, right. it's hard for us to sit at home and these, you know, seeing someone's face on a computer screen, or, you know, through doing curbside pickup with a mask on, just isn't the same for us. And we we miss the the big hugs when people walk in the doors and um, just that that individual connection with people is so important to us. And I think it's such an important part of restaurants, period.
0: A hundred percent it is. It's, you know, you really are touching on something that um, I think people have really felt the impact of the loss of restaurants. I mean, um, they talk about making sure that essential businesses are still active and whatnot. And whether or not a restaurant is essential or not, you play such a big role in the culture of of America and, and anywhere, frankly, for that matter, in the world. But um, it's such a wonderful thing to be with friends and family and and go out and break bread together and eat and laugh and um, to have an environment that has great food, but also the love and the culture. It it really does. It really does feel quite essential, to be quite honest. Like, and to have that not there is you really feel that you really feel how big you know that void is um when you don't have that so it's it's really it's shocked me in a way a little bit just with this whole covid thing and how much we miss restaurants
1: um it is i mean it's (laughs) really is a tribute to us and we feel you know i think anyone would love to hear their line of work be called essential (laughs) whether you believe it or not you know i know we, we know how important it is. Like you said, it's such an important part of our culture, our communities, um, you know, and it's the nature of res- what restaurants have always been is, is providing that to people. And um, certainly something we've set out to be, well, way more than just serving food. You know, it's important. The food has to be good. You have to do those things right. But it's, it's that experience, that feeling um, that, that community that you get when you go out to eat whether it's shared with the people you're going out with or that that group of people you run into at the restaurant that's always been such one of my favorite parts of Alvin Oak and Clover is you can just you just go there you don't have to necessarily make plans to meet people there you go there and you're going to either see people you know and and have that um, kind of experience and community there, where you're you're going to meet people, sit next to you at the bar, and the table next to you, and maybe make new friends. And that's it's been such a cool part of that restaurant and so many restaurants I've been a part of. That's just been kind of integral, and it's always been ingrained in me as a as a restaurateur. And
0: yes, there. sadly, that's a, a rare quality. At least it seems to be. I mean, you have to hunt it out. Uh, it seems like to find a restaurant that. That really, and you just you just know, like the second you walk in the door, you just feel it, um, versus other restaurants that you you can tell that they're just trying to you know squeeze out every ounce of profit in you know they're they're cutting corners the quality of the food the the worst thing is when you have a an amazing place and for whatever reason the seller sell and the new owner comes in and you can just tell the quality of food starts to go down the staff is not as friendly uh it's just becomes a transaction and uh and it really you know you, you can feel that impact um, so but I wanted to ask you how or you had mentioned before um the your co-owner and, and how you guys met and, and how you met after, um, the tragedy and your um, experience. But was he already in the restaurant industry and how did the idea of the of the restaurant come to be? Like, hey, we should let's go to let's go to business together.
1: Yeah, no, we we're just buddies. You know, our our wives met first, and they they eventually got the husbands together for dinner. And he's in he's in telecom and still is today. But you know, he he lives in Webster also, so I I think we both. Um, just kind of, we became buddies and just saw the need in our, in our neighborhood, you know, and he knew it was something I wanted to get into. It's something he had toyed around with in his mind and just kind of bringing something to the community that wasn't necessarily here yet. And it was just, you know, I think it started out as our wives thinking we were just using it as an excuse to go get beers. And, you know, (laughs) over those beers, we actually put together a business plan and and started uh, inviting others to come have beers with us and help Help fund the restaurant. We pretty quickly made a move on a space, and just it it felt right, and we just you know we just took the leap. And I I tell people a lot, it's because I I can't tell you how many business plans and menus and stuff I drew up over the years, but, but to me it was important to have a business partner, you know, because you just start holding each other accountable from day one. So you don't you don't let you like stop when you get to the hard part of writing a business plan, you know. Oh, wait, I've got to do projections. I've got to come up with balance sheets and all that. It's like, uh, I'll get to that tomorrow. You know, so I right. think having having someone else really push you to, to you know, face the challenges because it's not easy. It's hard. It takes, costs a lot of money and um, it's not, not an easy, I'm sure no businesses are, and, but certainly opening restaurants is not an easy thing to do.
0: I'm curious, I, I'm trying to imagine you guys sitting there having a beer, talking this over and then having the idea go, come up and go, man, we really should we should start a restaurant. Was, what was it that was missing in your restaurant experiences that you were like, oh, it'd be really great if we had what? What, what was it that inspired the idea?
1: You know, I, I think it was just, you know, our, we have a great neighborhood. Webster Grove is a community that just great group of people. They love to support small business. You know very art driven it's it's you know there's the university here it's just such a cool neighborhood and there are some really great restaurants here and there have been for a long time but not nearly enough and i think we found ourselves leaving our neighborhood a lot and I, we always said we we want you to leave webster you should by all means go in the city go go to other other neighborhoods and go eat elsewhere support other great businesses but you shouldn't have to leave your neighborhood you know, and so I think we found ourselves having to leave our neighborhood to get a certain experience way more often than we wanted, and we're like, we need to bring more. and Our our goal from day one, our our original business plan was to open multiple restaurants in our district, and that's hope, hopefully in the next month we'll actually be up to like five on within a one block radius when you count the events. So it's so
0: great. You you've definitely tapped into um, your flavor of magic, which has, uh, been amazing to experience on my end. You mentioned that you had a, had a pizza concept that, that a pizza place that you were about to open. What was the, what's the concept behind that?
1: You know, we, we, so we have Clover and the Bees Italian inspired our, our chef Mikey. There is, you know, long history and doing Italian foods. We do a lot of homemade pastas and pastries and stuff like that. And, you know, and in, in our, neighborhood here we have dewey's and jets which don't get me wrong i i dig both and i i eat them often but wanting to get that pizza i think just another comfort food and something that just people love people everyone has their styles and things they like and i think we could just bring something unique just in that that local independent pizzeria to our neighborhood and just kind of fill a void that's there
0: would you do like a wood burning or how would you
1: no i think we're thinking more just kind of old school classic american like tavern thin crust pie and um you know do great ingredients and do a good overnight ferment dough but not um not necessarily it's it's a style i like personally you know and i i love to go get some loafers or some of the great neapolitan style big chewy crust but for me i just like I always like i want more toppings i'm not a crust guy i'm a i'm a I like to get yeah. it the cheese and the toppings and <laughs> have a nice crisp crust
0: uh you're making me hungry um so the restaurant industry obviously has been taking a beating um i looked up some facts and it found that um they were forecasted to lose approximately 225 billion dollars in direct losses, um, but the impact, the the full economic impact, was closer to around three quarters of a trillion dollars, which just boggles my mind to to think about. But restaurants play such an integral role in in our economy, and all of the supply chain behind it, all the farmers and um, the the furniture makers, and uh, you know, of course, your staff, you know all of the effort that goes into putting a meal on your plate, you know, um, you just got off a call earlier today with the, with who was it again?
1: The independent restaurant coalition. So that, that was started just during this pandemic. So, um, you know, led by some of the the larger markets, Tom Colicchio was integral in getting the foundation or the coalition started, you know, the national restaurant association has been around for a long time. The, The other NRA, and um, you know they're, they they do some very great things, but they're not always aligned. You know they're they're not pushing for higher minimum wages. They they aren't necessarily. They're generally more represented by larger chains, publicly traded companies, um, and unfortunately, more often than not, um, we we butt heads as far as some you know employee regulation stuff like that. And, yeah. Certainly, in this situation, as as we've seen with the PPP issues out there, you know, there's a company like Hardee's has very different needs than Alvin does. You know? <laughs> right. So, so it's we we thought it was important. Or they they thought it was important. We certainly agree to put together a a group that could represent small restaurants, independently owned restaurants.
0: I'm surprised that wasn't already established. I mean- it's great. you know, I I think so many of us.
1: They're, we're small, you know. So you go in, and we spend our time in our restaurants, in our kitchens, in our dining rooms, and not in in boardrooms and going to meetings and going to D.C. to lobby and stuff like that. It just has never really needed. I guess that there's always been a need, and we just haven't done it because we're all too damn busy running our restaurants. And, right. Um, so it's been interesting to see these people, you know, specifically guys like Colicchio from, he's the guy from Top Chef, if you don't know Yeah. and he has multiple restaurants and some of these, you know, obviously Danny Meyer is always involved in stuff like this and um, Jose Andres. So they, they are um, just trying to get us a voice there and they being the figures that they are, they have the resources to, you know, know who to talk to in DC and no lobbyists. And they had people through, you know, I think mostly through charitable foundations that they're a part of, you know, Jose Andres specifically is just a true leader and they have those resources to get in front of the right people. So hopefully there, um, will continue to make an impact on the government's moves to respond to COVID.
0: Have you been getting support?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we, it's it's been tough no doubt i mean we we closed before there was anything we had to take a leap of faith um knowing that some of this help was on the horizon and we just felt like it was the right thing to do for the safety of our our people and our community and just shut down everything all together and just started filling out those applications and watching the senate as they they rolled out the cares act and um just kind of fingers crossed that they would get some, and we've we've applied for the idle grants or the idle loans. We've received a little bit here and there um, after multiple rounds of having to fill out applications, then they'd change the process. You'd almost finish that one, they'd change the process. Very little communication after applying. Um, and then the PPP loans have been very similar, you know. So the PPP loans we've been able to get for our current businesses as far as the businesses that were you know just about to open and have been delayed there's been nothing to support those businesses that have you know should have been creating 200 jobs in the last month you know millions of dollars invested into the build out and equipment and everything else so it puts you know that's a pretty unique situation but there's been nothing to help fix that so we're currently fighting for you know changes to the ppp changes to um you know just more support more support from the idle loan process more support in a very a very specific um restaurant restaurant stabilization fund that would be a grant to help just keep restaurants around because i think um, the, the big concern is how do how do we come back and this right. there's not gonna be a, a switch that gets flipped in a month where it says up, oh, COVID's over go on open back up and everyone's going to pile in and you're going to jump right back into doing the business you were before, which allowed you to support the number of employees that we keep hearing these numbers of the, the vast number of employees in the industry and all the vendors and suppliers and farmers and fishermen and everything. So it's this, this whole system that's very much intertwined and so much economic impact relies on restaurants operating not at 25% capacity, but at 100% and growing, expanding mm. that industry um, is wow. integral to the growth and expansion of our our full economy in the U.S. Um, you don't have to
0: specifically cite your numbers per se, but like what type of impact on revenue are you seeing independent restaurant owners facing right now? Because I look at some of the restaurants and I see long lines of people. Are, you know, It seems very, very busy on the takeout side of things. How how much have you taken a hit on, on the bottom line?
1: I mean, I'd say for our two restaurants closing, I mean, you're looking at about a half a million dollars a month when we stop operations altogether. Damn. You know, and you can make up some of that with carry out. And I, I think the the problem there being restaurants had to keep doing that and they when they should have been going home. You know, but the, there wasn't that relief there to say, no, we need you to stay home. We need to stop the spread. And um, that that was a big concern for me was, yeah, we could still generate some revenues, but is that the right thing for us to do right now? And, mm-hmm. and I know everybody's situation is very unique and people did what they had to do to support their their livelihoods and their their employees and their communities. And it's different different places, but... Um, the, the impact's huge. I mean, and even those, those streamlined operations, they aren't going to support the labor, you know? So even if, even if say I can convert to a carryout model and maybe from a business standpoint, I can run it more efficiently. I can still do, you know, not the same revenues, but I can do it with considerably less labor, which is almost always your largest expense and especially in a full service restaurant.
0: Right. Um,
1: we're not, those jobs are gone. So right now we've got PPP, which will go through June. We have the extended unemployment benefits, which will go through late July. After that, if all these restaurants are still in a carry out only, or we're running socially distanced restaurants and occupy at 25, 30, 40% capacity, those jobs go away and they, you know, the supply chain's not being supported the way it was. It's, there's unfortunately there's just a long it's going to be a long slow process in getting back to full capacity and operations that that we all know.
0: About what percentage of staff has the industry on an independent restaurant owner level? How, about what percentage of staff have they had to let go?
1: Well, I mean almost all. I think yeah. for use Olive and Oak as an example. Now we we used to on a. Saturday night have probably 30 employees in the building where now we could do a, might be able to do a burger pop up and do 50% of the sales, but we can do that with six employees, Mm -hmm. you know? And so instead of having 30 employees on, we have six Mm -hmm. and they're working a five hour shift instead of an eight to 10 hour shift. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fractions of what the revenues and labor needs were prior to all this
0: yeah that's devastating um speaking of burgers (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing because that is hands down the best burger i've ever had anywhere uh Mm -hmm. like uh, you you run a i mean the restaurant offers an, an incredible menu of wonderful steaks and seafoods and whatnot but there are times where i'm like you know you're it's only what is it 14 bucks or something yeah. it's hands down the best burger i don't know what you're doing but it's phenomenal
1: <laughs> you know, it's one of the when we opened you know it, it was jesse and i and you know a couple other people that were early uh, involved early on with the restaurant we we're writing out the menu and of course if you're going to do things like a burger you're going to do a, C- a caesar salad or an oysters rockefeller or a steak tartare which are some of the things that have been staples on our menu since day one um and you see the menu now and the rest of the menus you know jesse's playground and she's her her mind works in very amazing ways and she's so creative and does some of the coolest food um you can imagine but when we started with those those items right like, if you're gonna do a burger you gotta nail it so i mean we just worked really hard and you knew it was going to be a double you know a griddle patty with american cheese and just kind of old school throwback and you know so It's just one of those things that we spent so much time on those like core items in the beginning, like testing every little aspect of it till we just nailed it. And it's, I mean, kind of selfishly, that burger was designed to be the burger that I love to eat. And uh, I'm glad other people agree with me. Oh man, it's I ordered hamburger.
0: It's it's crazy, phenomenal. What what makes a great hamburger in your mind?
1: I mean, quality of the product is important, even if stuff like American cheese. I'm, I've always been, I'm not a hater on American cheese. i it, it serves its purpose in life, you know, and, and burgers (laughs) is certainly one of those. So it's, I, I think the right ingredients is huge. And, um, you know, there are like methods to cooking a burger, you know, and how you cook it, how you do a smash burgers. Um, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And, um, seasoning and all, you know all the, all the little things but it's like we make the pickles the onions are cooked right the the bun is just a great bun and um, you know just paying attention to every little detail in it which seemingly simple but when you look at all the components the the fries are hand cut and a three-step cooking process so you know just making fries and you know that's hours go into french fries yeah,
0: no. that's crazy it, you know it's it's fascinating because one would think like how how different could a burger taste you know two next to each other but it is it's an entirely different experience eating your burger and and it does come down to the details where you know i noticed that when i eat your burger there the bun itself is i don't know where you get the bun or how you do you guys make that in house or do you have another bakery that you know
1: through one of our, our vendors it's a it's a potato oh, roll you know and we started shake shack uses martin's martin's potato rolls have been kind of a famous famous bun shake shack certainly you know helped put them on the map i guess back in the day mm-hmm. uh, sure it was popular on the east coast prior prior to shake shack using them but that was always a roll so it's similar to a martin's roll but just not different different bakery
0: um you talked about quality of product um do you uh, do you source locally or where do you get your food from
1: yeah we we totally do as much as we can i mean certainly we've we've always taken the approach that we want to work with great producers that are doing cool things and and we love to support local but we try not to say hey we're only going to work with these guys because i know when when we travel if i'm you know i was in be a wine bar in Charleston. I'll see bottles of perennial there or something. I'll be like, that's awesome. I love to see a St. Louis product when I'm in different markets. And mm-hmm. I think we've worked found just different vendors a lot in the locally or in Midwest, but we certainly don't say, Oh no, we're not going to work with you because you're three States over. Um, we just like to work with cool people doing cool things. And
0: yeah. Yeah. Um a question for you. Do you like, who were your mentors or your heroes growing up?
1: Oh man. I mean, I was one of the early people like hooked into this business by, um, by food network, you know, and I, I watched Emerald religiously when he was first on TV and, um, those, those, those guys inspired me early on. And that that's what got me interested in the business and, um, I started cooking at a young age and, you know, I, I, I definitely was inspired by all those kind of early TV chefs, you know, and that, that did a lot for me. My, my mom was a huge um, inspiration in getting me into the business. We weren't a restaurant family by any means, but she, she cooked and she loved to host and she was always just a, the, she showed hospitality regularly and even just having family over for Easter, Thanksgiving, and, um, always in kind of an important part of the culture of our house and dinner at the family dinner at the table, you know, that was, we, we did those things as much as we could.
0: Love that. Uh My mother was the same way. Yeah. And I, I have a good friend of mine who is a huge wine enthusiast. In fact, he's pretty much a sommelier. I mean, he's um, all but, you know, Having the official title of it um mm-hmm. and uh he's part Italian and recently went over to Italy for the first time as an adult, and which blew my mind because he's such a, a foodie and and lover of of all things italian and um I said, the first phone call that I want you to make when you come back is to me, because I want to hear what your thoughts are on of it, so we had a conversation, and he was sharing how uh he's like pete you know, you would think if, if you were an alien and you dropped on earth in America, you'd think that our economy was, you know, tanking or whatever, because everybody's running around and go, 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 go and do, 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 do. And he's like, you go to Italy and their economy's not doing well, but everybody's relaxed and they're having, you know, they, they sit down and they have multi-hour meals and they really, they put love into the, the, the combination of their foods and the the palates and the, you know, the connection and the people and the laughter, and et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, we're missing that here. And I was thinking about that and how possibly with this whole COVID thing and relationship to restaurants is like, is it something that our culture here in America specifically, do we need to sort of slow things down a little bit? And and is this an opportunity for us to kind of take a step back and go, you know what, what are we doing all this for? Um, the culture in your restaurant has that feel to it. When you walk in, it's it's not a, you know, go, 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 go. I mean, obviously it's a busy place, but you're, it's about the connection. Um How, I don't even know where I'm going with that. Now that I mentioned I mean, all this. it, uh, maybe just the, do you agree with that is as, yeah, as I mean, far as taking a step back?
1: I think I know exactly what you're saying. And I mean, we just went to Italy back in, I guess, fall of 18. It was my first time going over and the same thing. It's like, what, where the hell have I? Why haven't I done this yeah. every year for the last 20 years? And it's it's the same feeling. I think everybody gets that when you go to, when you leave the States outside of, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of other countries and cities that are as bustling and as crazy as ours are. Um, but you're like, what, what are we doing? And why you go somewhere like here, if you sit down in a restaurant and someone doesn't come get your drink order in two minutes, you're like walking out the door, you know, Yelling at the manager. Yes. We're over there. It's just like it, it might, might be ten minutes before they come get your drink order. But it's right. just, <laughs> you, you just learn to deal with it really quickly, and you're like, why do I? What? What am I in a rush? Am I like? Am I that thirsty? I need my drink in front of me. Right. No. And I I was brought up in the industry where it's like three minute cocktails. So the guest must have a cocktail in their hand within three minutes of sitting down, and you know, and I'm I'm as bad as anybody. Where I'm, you know, I've got my cell phone attached to my ear half the day and I'll have two laptops in front of me multitasking doing you know way too much at one time and just not you know detaching and enjoying life and enjoying family and people and friends and just life in the world as it is and I I'm also a dreamer and I love that when I when I think about that when I try to do that and I this this certainly has had my mind kind of circling since we got into this about how will this change us? How will this impact us? Or does the day that everything opens back up, we're right back at it. And it's like, it never happened. And we, we get back to our busy lives. And um, I, I I wish I had the answer. And I certainly, I hope that it, it um, kind of leads to some change in just the mentality of us as a, as a society, but, Do I think that'll really happen? Probably not. I
0: know. I was thinking the same thing. Like it feels like if, if we were given the green light, it feels like everybody would want to rush back to normal. And uh, I mean, I have conversations with people here and there about how it's a nice change and how it's forced people to slow down and and face uh, (laughs) themselves to some degree and reflect on, you know, what are they doing all this stuff for? But I think there is a normalcy that people are wanting to get back to. Have there, you mentioned like how this will impact your business moving forward. Had there been any takeaways that you've gotten so far that you might tweak or adjust if things come back to relative normal?
1: I mean, I think as far as what you would see as a guest, I, I hope not. I mean, to me, the restaurants are so, they're just a special like, series of things that come together and the community, the crowds, like to me an opening up a restaurant at fifty percent capacity just I I hate that idea. Yeah. I hate the idea of masks on our faces or guest faces. I I don't like a so what a social distancing restaurant might look like. Not to say that might not be our only option, but it's, you know, I know i feel that way i know zoe robinson feels that way with her restaurants that are so unique and have that like just feel that you go to go into one of her restaurants and it's half empty you it just wouldn't be right you know and i I think so many restaurants are just built on built on that built on the feeling and the environment and the crowds and um so it's a weird thing but i do hope that you see some some change in some more systematic changes in restaurants, you know, things that maybe would help us, you know, face something like this in the future, a little bit better, be it, you know, no one wants to hear it, but prices should be a little higher. Um, You know, food costs, food costs go up. Restaurant prices don't necessarily, we start giving more benefits to our employees. Mm -hmm. Prices don't necessarily go up. Um, You know, so I I think you may see some of that. Not that I want to see like prices skyrocket. I'm, I buy food at restaurants all the time. Myself. I spend probably half my income in restaurants. Um, You know, it's what I, what I do for fun It's something I love. And I love to get out and see what other people are doing in their restaurants. And, um, but there's issues with tipping. I mean, we've all seen talk about tipping and no tipping restaurants and the history of tipping and what it means and cultural impacts. And um, you know, there's, it's certainly an archaic system and is it the right system should it be a system that carries on is this the time to say all right maybe we should eliminate tipping and go you know pay people wages and have the prices that support it and there's always been the the very huge um income um gap between front of house and back of house which you know there's it's it's crazy. It's, it's a weird situation. That's just always been a part of the restaurant industry. Everyone's always known it's wrong, but no one's ever done anything to fix it. So mm-hmm. you, there's, you can't just take tips and earnings away from the front house and give it to the back of the house. It's illegal, it's governed and you're not legally allowed to do it. We've seen restaurants even locally closed down, wow. sued for that. Um, home wine kitchen that used to be in Maplewood shared tips with the whole restaurant and they got sued and, you know, Amazing. I know the restaurant. you know, it's like, and she was just doing the right thing and people had a choice to work there or not. And, you know, and that's what, how I looked at it. It's like, Hey, if if that's the system she wants to run and people make the choice to work there under that system, why is that? Yeah. A problem? Who, you know, who's like, suing in that situation? Probably an ex-employee. Yeah. Um, or people that that either still work there or no longer work there i mean te- technically it was there are laws you know that govern how you can distribute tips um and it's to a traditionally tipped employee which has been generally translated to be someone who has direct interaction with a guest yeah you know so it was a you know that was one sad story, but I mean it's happened over and over again, and specifically in larger markets. Um, but you know why? Why would a a line cook who's very integral in the experience make low teens an hour? And you could have a, a brand new server walk in the door, get out of training, and start making sixty grand a year on day mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's you you see that constantly and. know even as a an owner who cares about that and wants that it's like i can't take money from the front of house the only answer to fix the gap is to raise the back of house employee but when you're operating in an industry with a average five percent margin you can't do that without putting yourself in the red right (laughs) you know so you can't i can't just double my back of house salaries we've gradually brought it up and i think we we are pretty aggressive as far as um paying people a better wage in the industry is typically done but it's still a long ways to go and you know certainly a long ways to get you know, get someone in the back of the house who is equally as integral and is important to the operation to make the same as what through the tip system, a front of house employee is.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a, a relative who has his own business. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's so funny, because he's very, he's, he's a very charismatic guy and um, went over to check out his shop recently. And he walked in, he's like, welcome to my socialism, you know, and it's, I'm like, that's, that to me is capitalism. It's like, run, run your business in the way that you see fit and everybody there is, is equally uh, paid and you know, there's no, but it's, it's, there's no hierarchy and I'm like, Hey, if it works and it does, like he, he creates an an incredible product, um, which I don't know, if would be interesting uh, for you. He creates a, what's called a fooder. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I didn't even yep. know what that was. Yeah. 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 Um, is he in Missouri? He's here in Missouri. Yeah,
1: I, I I've seen them. I know them them well. I'm sure I I probably met him at some point. But yeah, I know the know this business.
0: Yeah, shout out to Matt. Uh, he um, he noticed that they were all the fooders in the world. I guess were being manufactured over in Europe, and he's like, why why aren't we making our own here? And oh my God, they are pieces of art. Those things. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. Come
1: over at uh, Rockwell. Um, and. and who knows? We might see some in the new, new brew pub when we get that. Oh, after.
0: that'd be cool. That'd be very cool.
1: Um,
0: you mentioned uh, that you love going out to eat. Where do you go locally? Where's your go-to spot? That's not your own. Of course.
1: I mean, right now, probably the thing I'm waiting for most is Indo. You know, I think, I think he's getting back to some curbside pickup. So I, I think Nick's doing amazing stuff and just love. I'm a, I'm a sushi freak and I, I think he's bringing something that is would thrive in any city in in the country you know he he can definitely hold his own with what he's doing on on the coast where you see crazy sushi and you know that just it's just clean and nice and that's why i love it It's just simple and done really well and you know i hate to say simple because i know he works his tail off and not not easy as it looks but you know not all not all the toppings etc just a nice piece of fish on rice that's done right you know and that's yes that's amazing. I love it. You know, and you know, we got, we got Joy is yesterday. We love Cate's own over on Olive. Um, you know, you could go all day. There's Union Loafers, Pie Guy.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, what is that place? Um, in. oh shoot. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. It's a, it's a, like you walk in, there's not, there's no table seating. You have to sit, sit on the outside
1: Oh, the, the little burger joint, um, no,
0: Carl? No, not the burger joint. It's um, they do like tuna. They, their menu is constantly changing over. Gosh darn it, um, it's it's slipping my mind right now. But some of them, uh, the, oh, not Savage, right? No, it's it's this little standalone building. You walk in, they have a little uh, ordering place, um, and then you go and you sit outside. On there's like a couple of picnic tables, just barely enough on the sidewalk there that you you know because there's oh wow parking and traffic one. I'll have to get it to you.
1: I need to find it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: It's a great spot. Um, when I I wanted to, I just was curious before we wrap things up here, when you're traveling, where do you, what do you look for in a restaurant? Like what, what speaks to you when you go to a restaurant that says, Oh, this is a great place or this is a quality place. Is there, is there some nuance there? I'd just be curious from your perspective, what you, what you look for.
1: I mean, it, it varies. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, I think, most tours goals are to like you see these iconic restaurants you know and there's something to be found in them you know and I, I don't think that they're not always the best restaurant you've ever gone to but it's like what what got you there what made you know you know obviously I, I had the opportunity to kind of start my career with gibson steakhouse which has clearly kind of set that sort of status in chicago and um there's obviously a handful of others there and you know, you look at, you know, just places like places that have been around not for 10 years, but places that have been around for 30 years, 50 years, 100 years. You know, it's like those places, they're doing something right. So it's like, what what is like in the fabric of those restaurants? That's something I always love to do, even if I'm just going in and getting a drink and not having a full meal there. It's, I, I want to see what are these guys doing that's made them part of their their community and part of the restaurant community for that kind of time. And what have you found? You know, I, I think family and people is always a big part of it. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you find that you can't explain why anyone's going there. Cause it's not that good. You know, okay. i never had that experience. Um, you know, but it, I, I think the business, you know, the, the business, Is something that does it. One of my old owners at Gibson's used to say, "A busy restaurant uh, feeds on itself," you know. And I think that's that's something that's it's one of the things that scares me about the like easing back into restaurants afterwards. And Alvin Oak was blessed to be busy from day one, and I think that's always kind of helped create this buzz and you know kind of scene around what Alvin Oak is that it's. I don't like the idea of opening it without that, you know, right. I think busy is important in restaurants. And, you know, when you drive by a restaurant, you see a line out the door, or you see a patch that makes you want to go do that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's a huge part of it, but um, you know, we, we I guess I, I just like good food and I, I like to be inspired <laughs> and I like to, I like places where I go in and the food's just actually really good, you know? Yes. So we, it's usually a mix when I travel. I we you know we try to. It's always food driven, but you know I I like to check out the old school places. You know if I'm in L.A. I'm, you know I've hit places like Pink's. And I, you know I want to see where the original French dip came from. So we we've, we've gone. It's like if I'm going to do a dip, I want to know what where the dip started and get it. Um, you know so I I always try to mix in the old and the new and you know try to see what's what's current and what are the the hot young chefs doing and bringing out and stay on trend, but always mix that, you know, what's on trend with what's classic and has legs and kind of blend those two together. I think it's always been really critical to what we do. And I think,
0: yeah, a lot of people I don't think realize that so much innovation goes into delivering an amazing meal or or amazing dish. Um, What are some of the trends that you're seeing right now?
1: Oh man. I mean, I think, both in food and beverage, I, I think you see. Man, it's hard. <laughs> I've been I've been so much more focused on politics right now. I feel like than yeah it's, innovation. Um,
0: <laughs> You're thinking survival right now, not
1: necessarily. Yeah, uh, I mean, but I think you you've certainly seen just like, in a weird way, global fusion. I think people are still like hesitant after like fusion restaurants of like the '90s. Um, and they kind of died off with fusion is, is huge again. And I think we, we embraced it early on and bringing, you know, kind of starting with stuff like steak tartare and burgers and Caesar salad and kind of classic things. And now you'll look at our menu and you're like, you'll have ingredients from all over the world kind of come in, um, and get integrated into, to what we do and what people would call an American restaurant. Um, but I think the global supply chain is so interesting right now where you can get your hands on anything from anywhere as far as spices condiments stuff like that so i think that's i think that's been a big trend over the last few years and i think it's one that's here to stay and that's just because of the the reach now that we have Mm. from a supply standpoint um so i think that's cool and i think i mean i think what you're really gonna see coming out of this will just be simplified things. And I think that's, we're being driven to simplify right now. So to think that won't last is probably, you know, I think that that'll be a lasting trend. And I always think a good trend in a lot of restaurants is Mm -hmm. focusing and doing fewer things and doing them really well.
0: Yeah, Um, Yeah, The fundamentals. So uh, I have to ask you, I meant to ask you earlier, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. What's the secret to making an amazing steak?
1: I think seasoning it, well, the could have start, you know, you got to start there. We, we use like our cowboy, I think is as good as any steak on the planet. It's a USDA prime ribeye, which I think is the best cut on the planet. So you, you start with that, you season it well, season it ahead of time. And we, we cook on a grill, old school grill. Um, I think that's, the way to go. I think the, especially when you're cooking a ribeye to give it that time, let, let the the fats break down a little bit. Um, to me, that's a perfect steak, but great product, season it well and season it ahead of time and just the proper cooking. And I, I think old school, I don't think you need a 2000 degree infrared broiler to cook a steak, right? You know, I think, I think old school cooking comes through with, with something like that.
0: does it stay on the grill the whole time or do you put it in the oven
1: um it probably depends on on the finishing you know generally no unless we're in a situation where you know the demand might depend on how you end up finishing it or you know certainly a you know the whole other world when you're when you're on a line with 15 tickets in front of you so I, i wish i could speak to that but jesse and joe and the team back there they make sure that Whatever they have back there to to get it done to the right temp, they they get it there and you know. But obviously resting after that, some nice nice flaky salt and good amount of butter on top doesn't doesn't hurt either. Doesn't
0: hurt. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mark, man, this has been such a great conversation. I uh, I feel for you, man, and I I. I believe truly that um, of the restaurants the area that's gonna make it through this, you certainly have a, a no pun intended, but the winning ingredients to um, to survive this and not only survive, but to thrive. I, I think you have a very passionate um, community that wants to see you succeed, wants to support you guys and can't wait to get it back to uh, a new normal and uh, bring forward some of the, the principles that I think your restaurant and your culture does so well and, and reconnect on that human level. And, uh, and of course just deliver incredibly delicious food. So thank you again for your time today, man. And I, I can't wait to to give you a proper hug and, and uh,
1: break bread again. Thank you. No, those days they will be back. We know it and confident we'll get there in, in good time. So
0: Absolutely. Having
1: me. All right, man. Take care.
0: You too.